Well, hey kids, it's that time again for Inspirato Projecto with your host, Kirk Glendennon. Yeah! I, uh, while I was <clears throat> editing this wedding video, why I've been com coming up with so many ideas, one of them is a matchmaking service that basically works with whoever is single who are, you know, coming to your wedding party and you find out who is single and uh, who might get along with who and, you know, maybe that's also something to take into consideration when you're sitting people together, you know, this matchmaking service. They're like, oh, okay, these are the people going to your thing. These are the people who, who uh, uh, you know, it's just an extra addition. So that way, because <laughs> I was thick, because uh, that way then folks could, go to the wedding for an extra added benefit for the possibility of uh, finding their mate, their match. So if you got matchmakers helping out, because I was thinking, as I'm looking at the bouquet toss, you say, okay, all the single ladies, okay, they're all the single ladies. Then they go, um, guys, they're going to do the garter toss. And then all the single guys, the first thing that popped into my mind was, oh, that this would be a great opportunity for the line up the girls, line up the guys, and go, okay, choose someone here. to to dance with you know somebody you find attractive and then and then i thought next i was like okay well, what if there's a way where you know maybe they could match each other up somehow some in some fashion um it'd be really quite interesting wow Wow, something just popped into my brain. Okay, so you could do that matchmaker thing. Now, I'm thinking of an app. If there was some way... It's kind of a dating app, but it's something where you go to a party. Like, everyone has to register on this particular app. And you put a few questions about yourself, and it matches up your personality with the other personalities that are there at the party. So it goes, oh, here are 10 or 15 different people that you can talk to who all share these th common interests. So they're on the lookout for you, you're on the lookout for them, and it kind of, kind of, um, it's a shortcut. It helps people find each other. This reminds me of, there was a philosophy class I had when I went to uh, College of DuPage, which was the one that the, the, the Belushi brothers went to. John and uh, Jim Belushi in Glen Ellen. Uh, we had this philosophy class and what we did was we wrote our name down and a few of our interests, a few of things that we really dig. And we wrote it down on a, an, on a note card. He took all the note cards, shoved them up, passed them all back to us. And then it was our duty to find that person. We now had a different note card. So it was our duty to find that person and talk to them about that, you know, that thing about them and come back with three different things, three interesting things. You know, we'd have to talk about them. And so what was interesting was while you're looking out for someone else, someone else is looking out for you. So they're asking questions about you. You're asking questions about these people. And before you know it, everyone in the class gets to know each other in a very fast way. I was thinking something like this would, would come in handy, let's say for a film festival even. Look for these people. These are their subjects about them. Find them. <laughs> so those those are some of the... Uh, Gemin on the what ifs. Wedding 
Wedding Guest Matchmaker. That's what I'll title this one. Wedding Guest Matchmaker. Well, I'm glad everything's well with you, Orson. See what I did there? Darling, thank you. In fact, I believe you made me a little theme song once upon a podcast. We're here in the uh, in Inspirato Projecto Studios. Um, we just came across a, a very interesting guest, uh, Mr. Motorcycle. Can you can you please tell us, Mr. Mr. Motorcycle, what the what the uh, weather is like out there? Uh, we got some fast winds going. Gotta put the brakes on. High speed ahead. What's it like to ride through the caverns with such crazy weather? It's pretty wild. You gotta watch out for all those curves. You never know. It's pretty dangerous. Now, I'm getting the idea. Do you, um, do you put on gear? Do you wear a helmet? Do you, um, do you drive with a sidecar through the canyons? Uh, no sidecar, because that, that's very dangerous. But I make sure that I wear my helmet. Jeez, Mr. Motorcycle... Always doing the right thing at all times. Uh, one more real quick thing, Mr. Motorcycle. Um, do you ever wear a parachute in case you're going too fast? You can just do, just do the parachute, do a real quick braking thing, or do, do, do you usually do that? No, but that's a good idea. Thank you so much, Mr. Motorcycle. Um, and we'll be back with more of these messages. In all my years of living with cats, of knowing cats, of having cats as pets, as friends, as acquaintances, colleagues, associates, students, mentors, professors, sages, shamans, etc., etc., and so forth, subsidiaries. I've never seen a cat laugh. I've never seen one laugh. No matter how much I tickle its armpits, uh, uh, I've never heard a chortle. Not a single chortle. And all the times I've tried to tickle, tickle its feet, nope, they just kind of kick their feet away. They don't. I don't ever hear a giggle, a, g- a simple giggle. I don't hear a guffaw, a yuck-yuck, not a single little, not a, not, not a, not a single snicker, not a single snicker from those cats. Dogs either. I've never heard a dog laugh. So I think... The best comedians are the ones who can actually get, um, we've seen them crack smiles, we've seen them crack smiles, that's a victory in itself, but I think the comedian who can actually make a cat just fall over with gut-busting laughter, that, that, my friend, that is the mark of a true 
comedian. Right, right, speak and spell? Speak and spell. Spell. Laughing. Cat. K-I-N-G-O-F-C-O-M-E-D-I-A-N-S King of Comedians? You are correct. Oh, thank, thank you so much for that. thinking about a story idea about a man who faked his death. It takes us a while uh, until we get to that conclusion in the movie that he faked his death. And then little by little we start realizing more and more why he faked his death and why he can't go back to that life he once lived and why he cannot talk to anyone that he knows or formerly knew. All of the struggles, all of the tricky things that they have to do to live a life after faking their death. you hear is Gonzo splashing his water bowl. I'm not certain why. He's just swiping at it. Like you see something in there. I don't know if it's the reflection that the light causes of the water.
is intrigued with whatever is going on in there. As a result, it's taught the other cats to do it. So now, there's all this water around the ground nearby the water bowl. Because these dudes keep swiping at the water. Sometimes they'll just knock the bowl over. I would, I, it's times like these I would just love to know what's going on in the mind of a cat. Someday, someday we'll be able to have, those machines have got to be uh, invented. Machines that enable you to see what is going on in the mind of that cat, what they're thinking, what they're imagining, what they think they're seeing. So the cat swiping at the bowl. What does it think it sees? It'd be fun to get one of those, like a tiny, tiny little camera, somehow fused at the bottom of the bowl, to record it going from the bottom up, so you can see that what that looks like. Hmm. Thinking about figuring something out. I got a clear bowl, a big clear bowl. Maybe I can fill that with water, put the clear bowl there. And Jeremy let me borrow his GoPro camera. I could put the underwater thing on it and set it right next to the bowl. Set it up right there next to the bowl so I could see the, the cat hand swiping at you the whoosh, through the water. That effect would look cool. Now if I could get some strobe lights going on in the background or some flickering uh, colored lights while he's doing that, that would really make it dynamic. This is a, a riff that just popped into my brain. This was one of the very first riffs I used to do whenever I went to the open mic. I figured out this, that you can move it up up and down I found out you could just move that up and down the neck and I thought that was pretty cool and so I would go to these open mics and most of it was improvised I had written very I don't even think I even had any songs when I first started going to the open mics all I had was some poetry, some prose mostly improvisation and uh, the few chords I knew on the guitar. And so I went out there, and people would ask me, why do you keep playing that same song over and over? Well, I think a part of it was just laziness and figuring out other chords. The other aspect of it just being very comfortable, it was very comfortable. I, I knew my way around it. Anyway, here we go. Da-da-da. 
da 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 I first started messing with that riff um, it sounded to me I was like I was imagining for any of you who are familiar with the uh, charlatans UK I I imagine that kind of ethereal you know maybe some uh, synthesizers back there Da, 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 da. Charlatans UK. I wonder what those guys are up to these days. They had such great music. And there's a band called Django Django, which reminds me of it. Those could be some Charlatans UK B-sides even, some of that stuff that those guys do. Very... Very, very similar to that vibe, that Manchester music vibe that came out back in the day. Some of the other Manchester music vibes that, um, when I first heard of, uh, about it, it was from Jennifer Kleinberg, the older sister I never had. She, uh, she's Eric Kleinberg's sister, and... Eric is my buddy who we developed Usu, the idea of Usu with, which I'll get more into. I already talked about boomerangs. Ubiquitous, serendipity, serendipitous, ubiquity. I talked about boomerangs. We'll get deeper into other other aspects as well. So she was the first one who told me about, about Manchester music. She, she's like, oh, I like Manchester music. And I was like, what is that? So then she says, oh, well, Charlatans UK, Happy Mondays, EMF, Stone Roses. Hmm. Yeah, Manchester Music. Wow, that would just be the best. Because I'm imagining it's like British Invasion. Uh, mixed with New Wave, I suppose. That could possibly... That might be a good description of Manchester music. More on that later. But first, 15 seconds. 
of the ozone generator doing its, doing its magic. And there you have it. We're going to go for a trip to get We're going to go get laundry uh, detergent. We're going to get laundry detergent. And also, I went to go do laundry. I noticed there was no laundry detergent, so I'm gonna go out, get me some laundry detergent, and coffee while we're at it. Two, two very important things at this moment in time that are needed to help with particular endeavors and whatnot. It's interesting, a gal just walked past me who looked a lot like um, when I was in Ivanov, when I was in Columbia College Ivanov, there were two casts for that. You can, uh, you can hear Orion Barnes talking about this experience in, uh, in an archive, a K-Chung radio archive, when I had him as a guest. I'll recount how quickly, uh, just a quick story here. So, there are two casts to the play Ivanov, directed by Sheldon Patinkin. And each cast had about, it seemed like 30 people, 20 or 30 people. And so, he was the only one who stayed the same. He was the only one who stayed Ivanov. Everyone else switched. So if they had a role with speaking lines, or one with, you know, larger lines, they would then be one of the sort of extras uh, one of the background sort of people at, uh, you know, at the parties and stuff like that. So each night it switched off like that. And uh, I played a character named Dr. Lvov. And my friend Katie Cass says, okay, so, so in the play, Dr. Lvov is in love with the wife, the dying wife. I think she has tuberculosis, coughing up blood. So the wife uh, is dying, and the doctor is in love with her. And he doesn't like how Ivanov is treating her. And so, in, when I play Dr. Lvov, so... When I didn't play Dr. Lvov, my friend Katie Cassis played the wife. And then when I, when I did play Dr. Lvov, a different girl played the wife. 
wish I could remember her name right now. But, um, point is, that gal looked just like the woman who walked past me moments ago. So it was, it was kind of interesting to, to see this doppelganger. Huh. I've been, um, if you ever walk down the street, you have, walk down the street and you'll see someone far ahead who is walking at you. And you go, okay, do I walk on this sidewalk like I'm walking on the street? Do I walk on the right side? And then will they obey that too? Are we playing by the same rules here? Well, sometimes you might find yourself making eye contact with that person. They see you, you see each other, you're good, you know, 400 feet away. As you get closer, they start veering into your lane. What do you do in that instance? What do you do in that instance? I'm curious. In the past times that I've been in those situations, I see them steer into my path, and then I've usually gone into the other path, and then sometimes I'll see them steer into that other path. So, these are some of the tactics I've been using. Um, just for an social experiment kind of thing, just to see. Sometimes, I'll, um, if they veer into my path, I'll veer into my path even more. So I'll see them walk towards me, and then I'll make sure that they know that I'm walking towards them more. <laughs> and sometimes that knocks them back into shape. Sometimes what I'll do is I'll uh, slow down, like, my walking to... So it's almost kind of like a, a turtle. So I'm just walking very slow. Um, and then what happens in that case is that as they're walking towards me, they'll see that I'm walking slow and then they'll sort of adjust what they're doing. Or what I'll do then is if they get close to me, as they get close to me, I'll just stop. I'll just stop right there. Stop exactly where I'm at. So now either they crash into me or they move around me. And uh, it's a fun social experiment. One of the things I thought about doing was actually interviewing them right then and there, podcasting right then and there. So I think I might do that just to see, just to see, like, what their thoughts are. It'd be fun to go, oh, you know what? I couldn't help but notice when I was standing way back there and you were standing over there, we look, did you look, did you see me when I looked at you? When I looked you in the eyes, were you looking me in the eyes too? It seemed like it. It seemed like our pupils matched. So you saw me then. And then that moment when you were standing about there, you, you, I noticed that you walked over into this path. What were your thoughts at that moment? What were you um, imagining as you walked into that path? Did you, did you have any thoughts after that, for instance? Did you think, oh, okay, once I walk into this path, I'm now going to 
either A, crash into this guy, B, um, intimidate him enough to make him move out of my way, or what? What, what? what was the outcome that you were anticipating? Or did you not even think that far ahead? Did you, or maybe you just didn't, for some reason, maybe you didn't know that you were walking into this path here? And then the next question is, what do you do when people walk into your path? First, before that question, I should ask him, do you like a clear path? Do you like moving along, just moving along, unobstructed, just here's where I'm going, and there we go, easy, simple. I don't have to make, you know, any adjustments really. Here I am, I'm in the path. We're moving along. Things are rocking. How do you feel about that? Um, so how do you feel bad about that? And then, how do you feel about Okay, so how do you feel about an open path, and then how do you feel about a blocked path? What are the two reactions that you normally have with that situation? What do you notice? What do you notice? How does it make you feel? And if that's the case, and then is, are those the feelings that the feelings that you want someone else to feel? Like, would you could you appreciate like? Okay, so let's say you learn from this person that they enjoy a clear, open, simple path. Things are moving. Things are grooving. They like that. They appreciate that. And then you ask them, is that kind of a gift um, that, you, that you would like uh, allow others to have too? Would you, would you think that was a good idea for other people to feel the same elation that you have when moving along an unobstructed path, when things are moving, when the flow is moving, would you, would you give, you know, others that opportunity? And if they say no, next question is why? And then, uh, oh boy. And then if, if it's no, then you go, well, why not? Why wouldn't you want to give that to people? Or if they were like, yeah, absolutely, I want to give that to people all the time. Well, if you want to do that, here are some, here are some ideas on how to better enhance that kind of experience. You can be, you know, like, uh, considerate. Just be considerate. Kind of watch what's going on. See how things are unfolding. Watch how the environment is working together. And it's the idea of getting harmony going. Agreements, harmony. Harmony, harmony, and agreements. Win-win, baby. Win-win. Win-win. Everybody wins. Everybody. There's, there's enough space here for this person. There's enough space here for this person. And these people are equally aware and considerate 
and concerned with the idea of allowing that for others. How amazing is that? That ability to give the gift to others, the gift that we would like to have for ourselves. That's the good old-fashioned golden rule right there, right? My dad taught me that long, long, long ago. It's reverberated in my brain ever since. And I think uh, when I find myself forgetting about that, in those moments, when I forget about the golden rule, I don't feel good about myself. It's also, it's a good, uh, that's what I'm thinking of, it's a good barometer for your integrity, for your authentic, authenticism. So when you, when you feel like you are not, when I feel that I'm not treating someone with the kind of way that I would want to be treated, can't, can't we notice that? If we're not following that, if it's a rule, if we want to call it a rule, if, you know, if we're not following that mantra, we can know, we can feel that. We can definitely notice that. And, um, and then when, when, when we notice that, then we just make that adjustment. And then move more towards the area which better serves us. Let's see here. Can I get some coffee, coffee, coffee? Seattle's best. Is that what we want? Is that what we want? Alright, let's go for it. Portside blend. Here we go. Portside blend. Here we go, folks. Here we go, folks. We got what we need. Ooh. Got what we came for. Coffee and the detergent. All things that we definitely need. That we definitely need. That we definitely need. That we definitely need. I'm going to enunciate more on this podcast. Sometimes I know I sound like I'm mumbling. I want to be able to hear, my future self wants to be able to hear everything that this guy, that this avatar experience right here is putting down. He wants to hear it all. So as a gift to him, we will enunciate more. We will uh, we'll talk more later. I think it's time to purchase these items. Inspirato Projecto. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. I'm really flattered to know that George Takei is uh, a fan of We Live on a Planet. That was groovy. I'm glad I got to hear from him. <laughs> so cool, man. I hope you're having a great Thursday. Thanks again for calling in and giving me that uh, celebrity endorsement. I'm honored. Thanks for taking that time. Peace, my friend. Hi, it's Mickey Dolans here. You're listening to Inspirato Projecto.
Jenny's doing her laundry, and I thought it would be fun to uh, record her coming up here. No, get out of here. Get away from the door. Get away from the door. Get away from the door. These cats, every time you're near the door, they want to try to go. It's crazy. Hello. So this is great. I got a ponytail in the back of my head for the first time ever. Been doing these Alex diaries for uh, for Ryan and uh, I had to make it look like my hair was shorter today. So I put it back in a, a little bun and uh, this is the first time I've ever done this before. But I had to make it look shorter. Let's see, Johnny's down here in the laundry. Can you at home viewers tell where we're at? Some. You had to step on a rusty needle. <laughs> rusty needle. <laughs> you know, I've heard that there are a lot of people who sew their clothes in parking garages. So a lot of times you'll find their rusty needles. Mm -hmm. Sometimes even thread. But mostly they're rusty needles. So how do you feel that the laundry experience has been going? What else did you notice about that experience? Uh, nothing very exciting. Just Any interesting thoughts go through good. your brain? Uh, no, not at that point in time. See that, ladies and gentlemen? Even something as simple as a laundry experience can be very exciting. Thank you so much, John Garside from Forgotten Tales. Thank you so much for your contributions to this podcast. Also, thank you, Lulu Island, for your wonderful sentiments. Um, thank you, Kurt Vonnegut, for teaching us about writing. And thank you, live on, We Live on a Planet, for your wonderful contributions. Each of you have your own astounding perspectives. It's what makes the world go round. It's what enriches it. It's what enriches it. It's what adds value, spectrums, holograms, bar graphs, etc., etc. <laughs> Keep creating. Continue creating. I'm going to read from a piece of this original Inspirato Projecto, one of the original creations where it originally stemmed from. 
I'm going to read Hmm, interesting. Here's something. Here's something. This is called, But Why Now? I explained in a different uh, episode that Inspirato Projecto began as a series of short stories, haikus, prose put together, given to a select few people, and it was an activity book. So here's one of those stories from there. It's called, But Why Now? He awoke with a sickness, or an ailment, or a malady, or something. Whatever it was, it was protruding from his chest, smiling at him. He stared at it and decided what to say, if anything. Its eyes were semi-squinted, and he wondered whether or not he should poke one out. Its teeth looked like little candy corns. Trick or treat, it said. He grabbed a half-eaten taco off the nightstand and shoved it. Okay, bye-bye. He grabbed a half-eaten taco off the nightstand and shoved it into the teeth. Bits of beans, lettuce, tomato, and cheese and tortilla were lodged between its gums. He watched it chew the taco. He heard it chew the taco and swallow. Trick or treat, it said. He quickly looked under the bed for something but it was too late by then. Trick, then. It said again. Oh, no, it said that. He quickly looked under the bed for something, but it was too late by then. Trick, then. It said it again. He half expected it to bite his nose, so he brought his hand up. I am your twin brother. Surprised to see me? He didn't know what to say. He punched it between the eyes, and it fell asleep. He got up and went to the bathroom cabinet. He opened it. Inside were the face paint. Markers he used last year to disguise himself as a clown for Halloween. He painted its face white. He painted some red on it. He put a fluffy circle. He put a fluffy circle on the end of its nose. He put a green sock on its head. He went back to bed and waited. After the clock chimed 10.42, it awoke. 
He smiled at it. It stared at him and decided what to say, if anything. Trick or treat, he said. It looked around, and the mirror caught its eye. It remembered the fun it had at that Halloween party. All the dancing, all the streamers, all the Elviras, all the presidents, all the spirits and libations, all the Elvises, all the food. It smiled at the clown in the mirror and stayed that way until the next morning. Mind.